This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Please keep in mind that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs. Not everybody will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say, so there will always be others that see it differently. And I understand that. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I'm still pinching myself. Thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. Until you were in that position, you never expect to walk out and see someone that you love doing that to your little girl. You just cannot even begin to imagine. Today is part two of my interview with Jane, whose life turned upside down after she discovered her husband in a compromising position with their young daughter, which could have only meant one thing. Last week, Jane took us through that night and how she somehow managed to think so rationally and move her daughter and herself out of the home, their family home that they'd loved. And she removed herself and her daughter within days. Relationships changed forever that night and it's taken years to have her family back together again, minus, of course, her husband who's in jail. 
Jane talks about the months it took for her daughter to be in a position where she felt she could tell the police what had happened and then the wait for her then-husband to be arrested. It felt like forever. And in the meantime, her son wouldn't leave their father's side because he was just so concerned at his dad being alone. Jane feels guilt to this day about leaving her son with her then-husband, but legally, because of her son's age, she didn't have any other choice as that's where her son wanted to be, with his dad, so that he didn't get lonely. Jane talks about the court case and how, hearing his sister's evidence, her son realised how wrong he'd been in believing stories that he'd been told about Jane and his sister and the lies that that he believed they'd been telling. The damage Jane's former husband has done is immeasurable, but Jane isn't one to give up. Far from it. Her son is back home with his mum and his sister and he's become like this quasi-security guard for his sister whenever they venture out and their relationship is mending. Jane talks about the day her husband was arrested and never came home. He pleaded guilty and he's in jail for a very long time. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the second part of Jane. Thank you. Um, can, can we go back to so that the the morning that he was um, arrested, quote unquote, uh, he never he never went back home, did he? He went straight inside. No, he's never ever been back home. Beautiful. So yeah, yeah, he and see and everything was on fire. So the guilt I had as well of, oh, my God, is that property going to burn? You know, like I just thought, oh, my God, you know. Um, it's nice yeah, so he was that. A- I'm thinking it oh. would have been lovely for the property to, <laughs> well, to, in um, hindsight, to burn to the ground. <laughs> I know. And I think, and you know, because I have yeah. people say to me, don't you want anything from the house? And I go, I don't want anything from that house. I it's a house of horrors. Yeah. And I have. You know, and I've made sure I've built a beautiful home with all new memories and, you know, like we did, we took two suitcases, a dog and, um, yeah, I took my daughter and, you know, and that's the other thing. I just think monetary and oh, anything like that, like it, it means nothing at the end of the day. So, yeah, I was quite happy to leave that house with nothing because I never wanted anything in that house that would bring back memories for my daughter but um, and so did your son stay with your husband ex-husband until he was arrested and remanded and then then what happened with your son oh god well because he was on the cusp of turning um like well once they turn a certain age you can't do anything um because docs so that's the thing like so the detectives, um, it's not just the detectives, you have a team. So you've got, um, you know, a doc, like docs and then you've got like counsellors and then you've got the police and they all work together. And um, I just remember saying to them, well, look, you can just go out and get him. And they said, well, we can't go and get him. And I just said, well, he's a 15-year-old boy. I said, I don't understand this. I said, you know, like he can't live by himself but, of course, the grandmother has said, oh, I'm going to look after him. I'm going to care for him. Um, he'll be in my care. Um, but little did they know, like, and I contacted docs. The school tried to contact docs. Like, we tried everything to get this kid back in the care of his mum, even though he didn't want to be. Um, 
Yes, so we tried everything, but they said, oh, no, he's been looked after by his grandmother. He wasn't. He was living out in the house that was once our home. Um, He wasn't attending school. Uh, The Department of Education were on my back, and I said to them, what am I meant to do? I can't go out there. I'll probably get shot at the gate. Um, You know, I said, he doesn't want to come with me. And I said, look, and this is where I had to go down the road of speaking to my solicitor and thinking, well, do I have to give give the grandmother legal custody so she's made accountable now for my son? So I had no leg to stand on legally of getting that little boy out of that house. And he, like, his dad had just been arrested. Um, his nan had told him that, you know, your mother's lying, your sister's lying. So this kid was so friggin' angry. And he's like, you know, why didn't you tell me? Because I had one phone call with my son and I said to him, mate, I need to talk to you. I need to tell you what was go- what's going on. But see, his nan had already been in his ear. So um, he was so frigging angry. Um, and I just said to him, look, this is my side of the story. I said, and I'm going to get my my daughter to ring you. I said, and she will tell you her side of the story. I said, but you need to hear mum and your sister's side of the story, not just nan's and not just dad's. I said, you need to hear it from us. Anyway, like he was so confused and that's the thing, like my daughter's been, oh, and like he just idolised his dad and, you know, and how's a 15-year-old little boy meant to get his head around that? Like he's still discovering, you know, girls and everything like that. And, you know, we weren't an open family when it come to, you know, sexual stuff. So, you know, like he'd live a, lived a pretty sheltered life, the poor kid. Um, so, yeah, to fathom that his dad was even, you know, my God, capable of doing these things. Um, so, no, he – and he kind of slipped into that role of, of replacing his father. Like I need to run this property I need to do this, I need to do that. So he really stepped up and his dad hadn't shown him how to run the property because he was too honed in on his daughter. You know, like I was just, you know, cruel. So, um, yeah, my son, he stepped up out there and tried his very best with the knowledge that he had to run the property and and look after his nan Um, because that's the thing. He said, well, nan doesn't have anybody. And I went, oh, okay. Um, that's kind of Nan's doing, really. So, um, no, he stayed out there. So, um, and then it got to the point where I tried to um, get custody of him, like tried to get him to live with me, but again, I couldn't legally. And my solicitor set up a phone call with my son and, um, you know, I just needed to talk to him. I needed to talk to him. And in hindsight now, I should never have done that because that was the icing on the cake for my son. I remember he rang me. And it was his grandmother all over. I remember he rang me and he said, Mum, he said, this phone call is being recorded. And he said, "Um, whatever I say, you know, is being recorded. Whatever you say is being recorded. This is a 15-year-old boy. But see, his grandmother had told him that the police had bugged his phone. They were watching him. Everything he said was being recorded. So this kid had been brainwashed and that's the thing, like not only had my daughter been brainwashed by the dad, but the grandmother was doing the same thing, but mentally, to my son. So this kid had so many issues with the law, with the police, you know, they were against us and mum and my sister have, you know, done the worst possible thing and they're lying and my dad's in prison. Like far out, this poor kid, like as if he hasn't got enough to deal with. So, um, yeah, the 
the trauma that the like, and this is the thing, I adored this woman. And, you know, I'm not out to cause trouble, um, but the trauma that this woman has caused this little boy, and he will suffer with that now for the rest of his life, um, you know, is just horrific. And, you know, not only am I left with a daughter who's been molested and brainwashed by her dad, but now I'm left with a son who's also damaged from no fault of my own. So, um, yeah, he totally disconnected with me after that phone call. He pretty much just told me to fuck off. I'm a liar, um, you know, and he was angry. That's the thing. He was angry. But the hardest thing was I couldn't go out there and get him. I couldn't go out there and get him. And I just had to let him work it out for himself. I had to let him work it out for himself. And if it wasn't for a couple of older fellas who'd taken him under um, their wing, um, and the thing is they, they believed my ex-husband too. You know, until I contacted one of them because I thought this is my only chance with my son. And I remember my ex-husband had pleaded guilty. I received the charge sheet. And this is this is what traumatised me. I didn't know any information. I hadn't read that journal. And after he was arrested and pleaded guilty, I got an email from the solicitor. I thought it was just going to have the charges listed like, you know, but under each charge, it had in my daughter's words what he'd done. And that's the only way I found out. And I remember opening that email going, oh, my God. Like, and I knew it was bad. I did. I knew it was bad. But to read it like that, I just thought, oh, my God, I've been living with a fucking psychopath. And I remember I printed the document up. I went up to my sister. I showed her she was physically ill. Like she just went, oh, my God, and the guilt that she had, you know, how did we miss it? Anyway, um, the other thing too is I thought, all right, how can I get this information to my son without it kind of coming from me because the grandmother's not going to show him. So I contacted these men and I remember saying to them, I just said, look, you know, I know that you are supporting my husband. I said, and that is absolutely your choice. I said, but you are the only link I have to my son. I said, and if I tell him my side of the story, I said, I don't think he's going to believe it. I said, but I have the court documents here and what my husband has pleaded guilty to. I said, can you please read them? I said, look, they're horrific. I said, you've got kids, you've got grandkids. I said, they are absolutely horrific, but you need to see a court, this court document. Anyway, so they come down. They were lovely. They took the court document. They took it up to one of their houses and they read it. They rang my son. They said, you need to come here, mate. You need to come and we need to sit down because I think you need to go and see your mum. But, you know, if it hadn't have been for these blokes, I wouldn't have my son back. I don't actually think my son would still be alive because he was suicidal. Um, he slept with a knife. He was petrified and he still has, you know, knives and stuff in his room because he has this paranoia that, you know, someone's going to come and get him, that he's being watched and, you know, like I just – I just think if it hadn't have been for this, these men and, you know, I just think I'd be fucked. And I remember they sat him down and they showed him the court document and he just went, oh, my God, oh, my God. He said, oh, my God, like my poor mum and my poor fucking sister. And then he had the concern of how am I going to leave Nan? How am I going to leave Nan? So, um, yeah, God, he got what a dilemma for him. Oh. <laughs> the dilemma just go on for him. 
I know. And this poor kid, because he just, you know, he thought, you know, Nan, Nan doesn't have any body, but then she's lied to me. Because see, he has this big issue now with trust and lying, and you know, because he'd been led to believe that his mum and his sister were lying. And see, my ex-husband was still writing to him out of jail, telling him that mum and his sister were lying. I've I've had to plead guilty because I had no other option and I had to take a early plea deal or some rot, um, you know, and that's he made my son believe that, you know, we were, we were monsters, um, that we'd done the wrong thing. We were the reason he was in there. And, of course, he was getting that from Nan and Dad. Um, it's like they, only, they just had nothing else to hold on to really, so we'll just blame mum and the sister. Um, yeah, so it was quite interesting to see the transition of my son then because once he got the information, once he processed it to the best of his ability, he started ca- catching Nan out on lies. So Nan would say things like he'd, he'd say, she'd say, oh, no, mate, you can't go to court because you're not allowed in there. <gasps> and then he'd ring me. He'd go, Mum, am I able to go to court? I said, I can get you in that courtroom, darling. I said, you know, if you want to be there, I said, I can get you in there. He goes, oh, Nan said you couldn't. And I said, I've talked to the investigator, mate. We can get you in there. He's like, oh, she's lying to me. And I never, ever said anything negative to him about his nan or his dad. And still to this day, I don't. Um, And, you know, I just think, you know, like he's found out for himself. He's not stupid. He's not stupid. So, um, no, he started catching nan out on things. And he just said to me, he goes, I need to move home. I need to move home to you and my sister. And I need to be with you in court. And I need to see my dad because as soon as I see him, I'll know if he's done it or not. He goes, look, I know he's done it. He said, you know, I know he's done it, mum. He said, but I need to look him in the eye because I'll know. And I said, well, mate, if that's what you need to do, I said, you know, it's going to be hard. I said, it's going to be horrific. I said, but if you need to be in there the day that dad is sentenced, you'll be in there. I said, I'll get you in there. And the other thing that upset me terribly, and I will never, ever forgive my mother-in-law for this, but. We went to court twice, my daughter and I. Um, The first time that we went, my daughter got up and she spoke in front of the court and she did her victim impact statement. Yep. And I said to her, I said, you don't have to face your dad. I said, you don't have to face your nan. I said, you can do it. There's all these different options. And her counsellor was there, was amazing and is still her counsellor to this day. And she said, yes, darling, you know, there's all these options. We can do it via video. You know, I can read the letter out, you know. And she goes, no, I need to look him in the eye and tell him how much he's fucked up my life. And I thought, oh, my God, this little girl saying F in front of everybody. I said, oh, Jesus Christ. And I thought, oh, look. Oh, God. And, yep, how he fucked up my life. And I'm like, don't say that. And I thought, oh, God, if the kid can't say fuck after what she's been through, then, oh, my yeah, God. You're right. Yes. You're right. So, no, oh. she said, I'm, I'm getting up there and I'm going to face him. And I just went, oh, my God. And I remember, like, um, we walked into the courtroom and, like, they tried to explain it to it to us the best way they could. I've never been in a courtroom, only for school, when you go on excursions to Parliament House or, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, so I remember we walked in the doors and they said, oh, he'll come up from the dock and he's in this wooden cage. And I've just gone, oh, my God, oh, my God. 
And I remember she walked in and just as she walked in, he walked up in the dock in all of his green prison gear and I thought, oh, my God, that is my bloody ex-husband. That's my husband. And I was standing right next to him and I just remember going, what has my life become? And she ran to the back of the courtroom and I thought, she's not going to be able to do this. No way in hell. And then the grandmother and her little cheer squad were on the other side of the court just glaring at her. And it was me and my sister standing there. And I just thought, oh, my God, she's not going to be able to do this. Like, I can't put this kid through this. And she kind of went, stuff it. And she pulled a little jacket together and walked up and she sat right there and she was just looking fair at him. And I just went, oh, my God, she is so frigging strong. And I remember she stood up and she said her victim impact statement and it was bloody great. Like I never told her to change anything. Her and her counsellor wrote it and it was just amazing. And she just pretty much stood up and she said, you know, this is what's happened to me. And she said, you know, like, and this is what's happened to me in my community, you know, and, and Nan, you know, and she did speak about a Nan because, you know, what a Nan had been saying, to, saying about her around town has affected her terribly. And um, she wasn't nasty, but she just said, this is how I feel. And my son was still living out at the property at this time. Um, the grandmother didn't know we were in contact, but I remember my son rang me that night after my daughter had stood up in court and said that victim impact statement and he goes, Mum, he goes, you're not going to believe what Nan, Nan just come home and said. And I said, no, darling, what a performance your sister put on in court today. What a performance. And my son said, Mum, can I please read that victim impact statement? And I said, absolutely. So my daughter rang, rang him, read it out and he just went, oh, my God, how can she be so horrible, Mum? I said, I don't know, mate. I said, I don't know. I don't know. So he knew from that day he had to move back in with us. So we had to get him out of that house. I went and got him and there's no way that she was even looking after him. He was living in squalor because, as I said before, I had OCD, so that house was frigging beautiful when I left out there, all beautifully renovated. I'd put all this money into it like I'd worked my ass off to have a beautiful home for them kids. I couldn't walk through the back door from rubbish so pretty much she would drop him a meal off. It's generally cooked chicken from our local supermarket, just shit. Um, she was giving him alcohol and monster energy drinks and she'd pretty much meet him at the back door, hand him over the food and walk off. And it was like he... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com was in a little confined space where he could sit there and think about, you know, what his mum and his sister has done wrong and, you know, like how this kid has recovered the way he has, I am so proud of him. But I had to go out to that house and when I got there, he was wearing clothes of his father's. Now, my son is six foot six, 140 kilos. He's a, he's a big rig. And I remember I looked and I said, what the fuck are you wearing? And he goes, well, nothing else is clean. And I just went, but you're in fucking motorbike gear. And um, he just said, it's all I've got. See, he didn't even have washing done, done for him to really like. The house, like he, I just couldn't believe it. And I remember walking around with a garbage bag, picking up all his clothes because I thought I've just got to grab what I can here. I've just got to grab what I can and because um, I thought he's coming to live with me. The poor prick's in his father's motorbike gear and, um, yeah, I just remember walking around that house and just going, oh, my God, this kid is just living in squalor like it was putrid and I thought I've got to focus. I've got to get what I can out of this house that will keep him going until I can get to bloody, you know, big W. And, um, yeah, so I did that and I remember putting him in the ute and off we went and I just thought I'm never coming back here and he's never coming back here. But, yeah, so I got him out of the house. But this is the thing with this kid. He's just so respectful of people. He's just such a beautiful boy. He said, Mum, I can't just leave like this. I've got to go and face my nan and I need to tell her why I've left. Now, this nan can be pretty scary. Like she's only a little pocket rocket but she can be pretty scary. So, one of the fellows that had helped me get him out of this situation took him out to that house, to the grandmother's, and my son walked in there and sat down at the kitchen table and told his grandmother why he was leaving. She called him every name under the sun. How dare you? How fucking dare you? Get the fuck out of my house. I never want to fucking see you again. You know, you ungrateful little bastard, you know. So this kid has pretty much lost his nan and – um yeah, he just come and his dad and that side of the family and, you know, and the thing is he's so much like his dad in, in ways to look at mannerisms and stuff like that and, you know, it just breaks my heart. But, you know, this kid just said I have to tell Nan why I'm going, you know, and he just said, You've, you know, this is why I'm going. I need to be with my mum and I need to be with my sister. They need me. 
I wasn't there for them. And then he, he fronted up in court two weeks later or a week later because after my daughter did her victim impact statement, the judge was frigging mortified and she said, I need a week. We come back and it was the beginning of December, I remember, and we will come back at the beginning of December for the sentencing and my son said, I'm going to be there with you and we're going to stand side by side. And the shock of the look on my ex-husband's face when he walked up out of that dock and saw my son standing there, I'll never forget it. And my son held it together through the whole thing, but as soon as he saw his daddy, he went, oh, he's fucking guilty, mum. He did it. He goes, oh, my God. And I just remember this is the thing, like, after all these crime shows and shit I've watched, I saw it with my own eyes. I remember my ex-husband looking over at me and my two kids. I was standing in between my son and my daughter, and he looked at my son and he gave this little wave as if to go, see you later, poor me, poor me. And then he left and I thought, oh, my fucking God. Oh, my God. And that, and that's what my son has said to this day. I don't understand. Was he waving at me, Mum, because he still, you know, wants me, you know, like loves me or is he waving at me to say, you know, you asshole? Like the guilt this kid's got. And the thing is, you know, he says to me, Mum, all I want him to do is just to write me a letter and tell me that he's done it and he's sorry. And I said, look, mate, I don't think you're ever going to get that letter. You're never going to get that letter. I said, you know, as long as Dad's still got his nan, you know, plugging him and seeing that's the thing I don't know what what the grand the mother is saying to him but I'd say it would be under the lines of oh you know the community don't believe believe your daughter and your ex-wife you know it's all right it's all right you know people ask about you and stuff like that and the thing that pissed me off is he's an artist she got his um, artworks out of prison that he'd done and she tried to put them into the local show oh my god yeah, so I actually had a lady from the show committee devastated and she come and saw me and she just said, I'm so sorry, she said, but this has happened. And I said, well, they cannot be shown. I said, I don't care what the content is. I said, but what, what does that say for a little little community show? You know, oh, here's a, ped- a convicted pedophile's pictures up against, you know, oh, there's a kindergarten's artwork there. Yeah, you're right. Far so, out. So inappropriate. It, it, oh, it's just so wrong on so many levels. It is so wrong. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting. Simply go to www.patreon. That's P for Peter, A T R. E-O-N for com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. From your, um, the, you said to me that looking back, the damage there was a lot of damage that your husband was doing to your son psychologically. Yeah. Like he's offending against your daughter uh, physically, sexually, but your son uh, noticed a lot of things yep. looking back and that did a lot of damage, didn't it? Can you tell us oh. about that? 
Um, he would say to me, I can, rem- I, no, I can remember, um, see, as I've said to you in our previous phone calls, like I come from a family like my, um, my dad was a truckie and um, he would be off driving trucks during the week and I didn't see a lot of my dad. My mum pretty much raised me and my sister, uh, poor woman. No wonder she was on nerve tablets because we were I was a horrible kid. Um, yeah, so I remember not seeing a lot of my dad. So when I met my husband and we had our children, he just doted on them, um, doted on my son. And then when my daughter, the da- our daughter was born, he doted on her. And, you know, he would go out of his way to, you know, make sure he was home, to pick him up off the bus, you know. And because I had my own business, he'd always encourage me, you know, it's all right, you know, you work as late as you have to work and I'll get the kids off the bus. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is amazing because my dad, he never even went to an assembly really. Like we didn't see a lot of him. Like he was a lovely, lovely dad and we had a great life, but we didn't see a lot of him. Back then you kind of didn't. It was mum. And um, I just thought, gee, I'm lucky you know, that he's, you know, so hands-on. And, um, yeah, I just remember he used to spend a lot of time with the kids and, you know, and then he kind of went through this stage of he'd be buying my daughter things when it wasn't her birthday, wasn't Christmas, and they weren't just little things. They start, Well, actually, they started off as small things, but then they turned into bigger. And I can remember my son saying to me, Mum, why is she getting a Lego car? You know, it's not her birthday. And I'd say, mate, I don't know. Anyway, I remember saying to my husband at the time, I said, look, what's going on? I said, it's not a birthday. It's not Christmas. I said, you know, why are you spoiling her? And he said, oh, she just helps me add that little bit extra on the property, on the farm, helps me feed the dogs or does these open gates. And anyway, my son would say to me, so what's a go? And I said, oh, you know, apparently she's been doing a bit of extra work. He said, she doesn't do anything different to me. And I just, you know, and I thought, oh, that's just putting it down to being a sook. And, um, you know, and I'd constantly pull him up and I'd just say, look, please stop buying her things. You know, there's no need to buy things. And, um, you know, after speaking to her, after, you know, everything kind of happened and I was able to sit down and have a proper conversation, she said, um, she said, it got to a point, she was about eight, and she said, and I knew it wasn't right, mum. She said, I knew what he was doing wasn't right. And she said, I'd go and stay at my friend's house. And she said, their dad's never woke him up in the middle of the night. And I knew it wasn't right. And she started saying to my ex-husband, Dad, I don't like it. You need to stop. It hurts. This isn't right. And that's when he started with bribes, motorbikes, um, taking her away for the day on the back of the motorbike, taking her to restaurants, um, you know, offering her money for sexual favours. And so half the time she never even got that, you know, and that's what she said. She goes, oh, my God, Mum, she said it was – and the thing is she said he'd get this look in his eye and I knew it was, I knew it was on. And I just thought, oh, my God. And I said, look, darling, because people say, why didn't she say anything to you? Oh, my God. And I remember saying to her, was there ever a stage, mate, you thought you needed to tell mum? And she goes, once. She said, we're in the in the ute. And I started crying. But she said, you loved him. It was, it was your husband. Oh, yeah. I was going to ruin everything. And I said to her, I'm so, I said, look, I'm so glad I saw it, mate. I said, as horrible as what it was, I saw it and we stopped it. I said, I'm so glad. I said, it's shit and it's horrible. I said, but, you know, We've stopped it. I said, you know, I'm so glad. She goes, I am too. 
She goes, I'm so glad too, Mum. So, yeah, just horrible. Oh, just horrible. Look, I suppose, you know, there's just so many um, questions. Oh, I suppose I think we might wind it up, but I'm just I'm just thinking there's two things I wanted to um, ask you or say. The first one is that you might not want to talk badly about your husband, but I tell you what, I can call him a fucking oh. monster. And I, and I will. I know. Yeah, I, I know. know. I know. Um, and I do apologise to the listeners out there, but it's just how I feel um, oh. because, no, because what it is is it has, what he has done has ruined a whole family. And, well, I shouldn't say ruined because, thank God, they've got you because you are just so level-headed, so mature about what, how to deal with it and everything. Oh, I don't know how you've got to this point, but it just shows, oh, unbelievable courage, strength, inspiration, motivation, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, yeah, I can call him a fucking monster and I do apologize, but I, I think he deserves it. The other thing is, uh, did you, last question, did you ever ask him why or try to get him to explain it? Yep, I did. I remember that night and a couple of, oh, probably a week after, I remember just saying, you know, oh, my God, you know, what, why, I remember saying, why didn't you tell me? What, we could have done something about it before it got out of hand, like, oh, my God, it must be like wife of the year or something. And he just said to me, he goes, how could I tell you that I was doing those things? He just said, something's not right. There's something not right upstairs with me. He said, Jeez, you're not, not right. wrong there. I thought, well, yeah. fucking that's evident. And he just said, there's something not right. I thought, well, I know that. And see, and the hardest thing I found as well with working in the public and being in the public eye and not being able to tell my story, I'd have people walking through the door of my business and they would say to me, how didn't you kill him? How didn't you kill him? And I said, until you were in that position, you never expect to walk out and see someone that you love doing that to some, you know, to your little girl. I said, you cannot... You know, you, you just cannot even begin to imagine. And I said, I just knew that that night was going to fucking change everything and I had to go about it the best way I could. And look, in hindsight, I know that I should have got my son out of that house, but I couldn't, you know. And the thing is, like, people, you know, were horrified that I left him out there, and you know. But I think, well, until you're in that position, right. yep. you've got no fucking idea. You know, they can stand up and say this and that and I would have done this, but until you have been through it, you know nothing. And for those people out there that, you know, do say that, I hope it never happens to them because... Oh, um, absolutely. You just never know how you're going to deal with it. And so tell us, how's the relationship with your son and your daughter now? How oh, are they both? <laughs> well, to start with, when my son first moved home, oh, he was so funny because he's built like a brick shit house. yeah. Anywhere where my daughter went, he was like security. He's like, we had a local street, we had our um, our little local street carnival, and he goes, I'm going with her. 
And she's like, yeah. oh, really? Do you really yeah. have to? Yeah, and I said, yeah. oh, look, it's lovely. Off you toddle. I said, I don't really want to go. I said, but it's freezing, but you guys go. Anyway, my daughter rang me and she goes, oh, my God, no one can speak to me, Mum. No boys can talk to me. He's just standing here. And anyway, I just went, oh, my God. So he was really overprotective. And that's what oh, he said to me. He goes, yeah. I, I didn't look after a mum. You know, as a brother, I meant to look after her. I said, yeah, but you never, ever expect to have to protect her from her own fucking father. Um, so, yeah, he kind of went into protector mode and, um, and like, he acts like an old mother hubbard, like he's such an old woman, like he's yeah. hilarious because yeah. he's this big rig, but he'll say to me, oh, I don't know about her hanging around with her. And I said, mate, <laughs> you know, like you just got to let her learn from her mistakes. And, you know, yeah. and he tries he tries to be a parental figure to her as well. You know, he's still a big oh, immature kid. And, um, yeah, he's there and he just tries to be, you know, the boss and stuff like this. But, no, he's he's just been beautiful with her like he has. And yeah. oh, um, like they're back to yeah. fighting and carrying on and oh, slam yeah. balls and uh, give oh, a shit. Yeah. But, but, no, look, he's beautiful. He's just – and I'm so proud of him. He's come so far. He's got his licence and he's bought himself a bike and a ute and he's working and, you know, I'm so – how he even managed to get his year 10 certificate, I'm stuffed if I know. But he did it, and uh, and I say I'm just so proud of how far you've come, and every day just gets better. Yeah, so beautiful to hear. And what about your daughter? How how is oh, she managing these days? She like she is amazing. She's been doing fundraising and things like that for you know sexual abuse, and like she's just amazing. And that's probably been the hardest thing. She couldn't tell her story. Um, she wanted to tell a story, but because of all the laws and stuff, she really couldn't. So she went about it in a more positive way with fundraising and stuff like that. And, um, you know, now that all that's um, come to a bit of a hold, she, yeah, she's just trying to get her head around it and trying to live life as a as a 14-year-old girl. Um, yeah, but look, she's she has her bad days. Oh, look, God. And unfortunately, she will. You know, that's um, unfortunately what happens with um, uh, sexual abuse survivors is that they they do, it's something that they, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm saying a bleeding obvious here, but it's terrible to hear, but it, it has lifelong effects. But she has your support um, and love, thank goodness, and uh, and uh, obviously your courage and your strength, um, but um, yeah, I, I I'd love to talk to your daughter one day. But when she's old enough, and when um, we can, I, I would love her to tell her story because I know what you mean. Uh, it's every, it's something that when they want to share it, they want to tell everybody because they've had. She this, would love to. Yeah, they've had this secret that they've had to keep to themselves for all these years and then they're um, silenced again because of the laws. And, you know, That's laws right. are made for a reason and we've got to um, uh, be within those laws. But when she's able to, I would like to help her stand from the top of the Buddy Eiffel Tower and tell everybody if she wanted to because um, I think it's uh, it's cruel that... You know, they have to be silenced. But anyway, that is for another day. Now, I think we both need to go and have a very <laughs> stiff drink. <laughs> and my listeners out there, I'm not encouraging 
drinking. However, that's um that's a, a pretty tough um, <laughs> that's a pretty tough thing to listen to. But thank you so much, Jane, for what you've shared. And I just um, hope people out there have some inspiration from what you've gone through to see, you know, now Jane is, um, you know, she's, oh, well, she, you could never move on, but you're no. moving forward. I hate that expression, but it, <laughs> it's oh, sort no. of right that you are, you're, you're moving forward. You've, you've found a lovely man. Life's pretty damn good. And um, if anybody deserves deserves it it's you and your family oh thank you Narelle and thank you for talking to me and I'm proud I stuck it out in my little town and didn't leave when people kind of said you should just go I'm proud I stuck it out and I've got 98% support really so you know and as far as I'm concerned if people still don't want to believe me they're not worth the worth it um yeah I'm I'm happy with my little family and I've got my kids home and and they're safe and that's all I care about is my kids yeah and uh we yeah I can tell you now from my listeners from everybody out there we just want to put our arms around you and say you know thanks for everything you've done for the kids and for and really telling your story hopefully will help somebody else out there who unfortunately it you know it happens and somebody is going to be going through it so have strength and just think about Jane and her kids all right thanks again Jane it's been an absolute pleasure thank you Narelle hey it's Narelle here again thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.